history in Death Valley, South Carolina, baby. Guys going down, guys stepping up. That's what football is all about. And they say we can't do it. What they say now? You've got mail. I want to know what you're thinking. There are some things you can't hide I wanna know what you're feeling Tell me what's on your mind The mail's here! I turn on my computer Pure energy I go online Welcome and my breath catches in my chest until I hear three little words. You got mail. Now let's talk about the mail. Can we talk about the mail, please, Mac? I'm dying to talk about the mail with you all day, okay? Pepe Silly. Would you remember this? When you control the mail, you control information. Welcome back to the Clemson Podcast. I'm your host, Nick. I'm joined today by Ben, Sam, and Cody, and this is our roundtable mailbag episode here uh, for the 1st of July. Guys, before we get into it, how are we all doing? Well, I'm excited. I think this is the first time all four of us have been around the table at the same time. It's the first time ever that we've done a four-person podcast. Our first ever episode, there was four of us, but we did two-person segments and packaged them into one. So this is the first time with four of us together. It's pretty exciting. That was our best show of all time, actually. There will be some clips really of it at the all, end. All downhill from there. Yeah. So, uh, everyone, you're encouraged to go back and listen to that. Please don't. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you'll put some clips in. Um, Sam, Cody, good summer so far? Yeah, so far, so good. Uh, glad to be back in the studio doing an episode. It's been a little while since we've been... Talking football now, no yeah. baseball, basketball. Yeah, we're moving on from uh, the minor, air quotes, sports uh, you guys, if you listen regularly, know I'm a big basketball fan. So it's NBA free agency right now. FIFA World Cups going on. There's a lot yeah. of sports stuff in the in the world going on, but we're talking Clemson football now. It's yeah, all that matters. Exciting. Yeah, people are ready for football, and we're we're happy to start previewing the season. Thanks to everyone that sent in a question via email. That we were really pleasantly surprised with the response. Email, uh, Twitter, Facebook, email, yeah, yeah all, across all those mediums, and uh, going forward. Feel free to send more questions, uh, posit a theory, like give us an argument or tell us where you disagree with us, particularly Ben, because he says a lot, a lot of outrageous things. They turn out to be right. Um, and before <laughs> and before we get into it, uh, if we missed your question, we didn't see it come in because sometimes we do miss stuff. Ping us back and we'll try to get it on here. Yeah, perfect. Um, plenty else going on in Clemson world, even though it's a little bit of a lull time of the year. Um, basketball news, a little bit of recruiting, all that. We're not going to get to that in this episode. We're sticking strictly to the mailbag format this week, um, but we'll be back soon with um, more about David Scara and potential other highlights and news that we have going on. Without further ado, let's get into this mailbag. So uh, first up, we're going to go with a question from Adam Zwilling. We got this through email. Thank you, Adam. Uh, guys, why does it seem like Clemson cannot consistently land blue chip level offensive linemen? Is it an issue with Robbie Caldwell, or could it have more to do with kids not wanting to play in a spread system? Cody, I know you you uh, are a student of offensive line play. What is sort of your take here? I know also um, you, you speak to someone who has a, 
a lot of opinions on this topic, Quacking Tiger, pretty, pretty frequently. Yeah, lots to unpack. So Quacking Tiger, if you look, or if you look at our offensive line and the way we recruit, um, generally take two to three takes a year on average, sometimes four. Quacking Tiger would continue. should get that up into the five take per year range, regardless of numbers at other positions, because the hit rate is so low with offensive linemen because most of them are developmental prospects. They're, you know, So just so we have a large number, play the numbers game, some will pan out, some won't. Um, that's one. That's one remedy. For what's going on in offensive line, I mean, and, and it's fair. You know, I would say to that too. My like counter to that would be that there's going to be a diminishing returns if you go beyond Jackson Carmen and Jordan McFadden. Your next guy in line isn't Cade Mays or another Jackson Carmen. It's another three-star player. So there's going to be diminishing returns there, um, and you're going to be sitting with some dead weight on the roster. Probably like six guys, maybe that just aren't contributing. That did not that d- you did not hit on, and then that's going to have like a its own like five heart uh, result in a way. Um, so that's, but that's one thing I think, I think recruiting is, is a part, you know, does it like Robbie Caldwell is a little bit of an older dude. Uh, he's culturally, he doesn't do social media. I don't think he has like that mentality to grind on the recruiting trail. I think it is a bit of a problem. I mean, it's, it's not just, I mean, you look at other position groups and you see the upper, upper trajectory in the recruiting rankings. It's not coincidence that it's not happening on the offensive line. Now, the other part of that is offensive linemen are tougher too to project because, you know, there's a lot that goes into a lot of physical maturity that happens around 18 or 19. So that's the other part of it. There's just not as many at the top of the, the four star, yeah. five star age. Well, let's face it. There's a lot less blue chip offensive linemen period than there are other positions, say offensive line or sorry, uh, defensive end or wide receiver, which Clemson does really well in. Uh, and, and it's not to say that we don't have blue chip guys on the team. You got Mitch Hyatt, you got John Simpson, Jackson, Carmen. I and mean, what Clemson has, historically focused on just taking guys under the radar guys and developing them over a period of time, having them cross train at different positions. You haven't seen that translate much into the NFL, which is, I think is part of the criticism. Um, but you know, let's see where that pans out coming into this year. You're going to have like guys, Blake Vinson, Mac Bach course, uh, guys like Cade Stewart, Chandler Reeves have been on the team for a few years. And this is the time where we're going to see need to see some development out of them. Um, and if we do, we're going to be in good shape. If not, that's where I think you start to question the recruiting. Well, and I think when part of the question was, what's our difficulty leaning blue chip? I think, Ben, you touched on we're not putting guys into the league. We have not done that at that position group yet. That is being used against Clemson on the recruiting trail. Negative recruiting by other coaching staffs to keep, you know, the the four or five star guys, if you will, that we we are in conversations with from signing with Clemson. Um, really, the way I look at and, you know, there are actually, you know, 30, 40 um, four-star, five-star offensive lineman nationally recruited every year. So, um, yeah, maybe that feels like a shallow pool. Um, but really, these are distributed a lot more nationally than some of these um, talent or you know skill position groups um, that Clemson's doing really well in, which tends to be concentrated in the Southeast. Um, you really end up with like three pockets of talent here. Uh, let's start with the West Coast where we are. You have a lot of California talent and Samoans. Um, not Samoans, but, you know, Pacific Islanders, let's say, where you've got Hawaii, um, American Samoa, et cetera. This is not Cle- this is not where Clemson plays, where we recruit. So you can kind of lop off a third of the country in that that standpoint. And then you have a lot of five-star, four-star talent in the North and the Midwest. That's all feeding really into Big Ten schools. They're staying home, corn-fed boys going to those schools. So we're left to compete in the Southeast with pro-style offenses in the SEC. And by and large, that's not really playing out for so you can see all the, the that's that's very interesting. You see all the built-in kind of negatives to recruiting from the numbers game to the regional aspect. Uh, what I would say though too, 
is it a problem though? Like, is it a coaching problem? Is it a recruiting problem? I think it is. I mean, I think, you, I mean, Robbie Codwell, I mean, you just look at the development of players and you've seen like Taylor Hearn, Justin Fastinelli, you've seen some of these guys uh, progress as they, they've been in the system. So coaching, you could say is good. I think recruiting, I think you still need someone, either he needs someone to help to augment his recruiting or, you know, at some point it's like, hey, we, we've, we've got to do a little bit better. I, I don't I don't think it's like, I don't like the whole dab, but we'll figure it out. Like we're going to pull out a Jackson Carmen every year, like last minute. I don't think that's a recipe going forward. So you're saying we need to focus a bit more on quantity to start um, with low hit rates. That will at least, you know, you take a couple, two, three more guys per class. Hopefully one of them pans out and we're in a better spot. Right. And, and maybe that that extra trip out to Ohio, because like you said, some of these guys are it's regional. Maybe they're like in the in Big Ten country. Well, you got to you got to be out there. You got to be traveling. You got to be texting these guys, hitting them up on social media like you got to play that game. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. Maybe bring, it's a position where we need to bring them Chick-fil-A. Geographically, we need to bring them Chick-fil-A, show them the, the features of the South that are appealing that other other parts of the country don't have. Uh, and really expand our reach a little bit in that area more than we do for other positions like receiver where it's heavy in the southeast. I think, too, um, we can talk a little bit about looking ahead into a year from now. Um, we're all going to be really hopeful that guys like Christian Wilkins will have success in the NFL. I think all of us should be rooting Mitch Hyatt on to get that first-round draft grade, um, draft in the first two rounds, and actually have an impact in the NFL. I believe that will have a much bigger impact on Clemson recruiting I think John Simpson our, will as well, eventually, right. if he doesn't leave after this year. Yeah, cause, so right away you can sort of, uh, and again, it's a, it's, a, it's a small sample size. You know, We don't want to put all this pressure on Mitch Hyatt to perform, but um, if that helps kind of counter some of the negative recruiting, that's, that's great. Well, and listen, I mean, again, take a look at the guys that we have on the team. Guys like Sean Pollard and Tremaine Anchorman have been playing and starting since their freshman year on a team that's been contending for national championships. So... Yeah, I that, think that's a key they got to have some talent. There's there's something that they're doing right. We've made the Final Four playoff three years in a row with the offensive linemen that we've had. So, but it has right. limited us. But if you're talking to a teenager, you're on their couch, and you're, you're this is what you're going to tell them. Like, what you, is that your pitch, guys? Yeah, like, is that what you would say to them? Like, they're going to be like, no, who you who do you have in the NFL? Like, can you point to your your uh, your Vic Beasley, your Grady Jarrett? It's like, no, we can't do that. I'm not on teenagers' couches often, so well, that's I really how recruiting don't have happens. That perspective. Then. <laughs> and then that's that's the world of recruiting, my friend. All right, we are, we're going to wrap this one up. <laughs> so where do we land on this? I guess Clemson. We got to do better at recruiting. It sounds like. But I think Cody, maybe what we didn't touch on was the quantity aspect. It's not like I mean this year being an exception, you're going to have to make compromises elsewhere. Like if we're bringing in two more alignment, three more alignment signees, where's that coming from elsewhere in the team? Yeah, you strategically pick and choose which position group. So it's not like oh, it all comes from the DBs. You know, it's it's one DB here, one uh, wide receiver there. Well, you've got plenty of wide receivers. Yeah, so you, uh, you not can strategically so much, do not it. so much on the DBs, but I know you're just kind of making a general. Yeah, yeah. Statement if you start chipping away from other areas. But I mean, again, let's go back. The player development has been very good. We can agree on that. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these what, guys. With what's been brought in. So the problem and is. That goes into the problem is. Well. The problem is if that starts to lack, that's when the lack of recruiting is really going to come back to hurt so us. So you're playing a dangerous You're, you're playing exactly. a very dangerous game right now. Yeah. Great. Well, uh, good, lively discussion on the O line. Um, thank you, Adam, for that question. move on to one here from Jake. He's on Twitter at, at Dadanista. Dadanista might be how he would prefer to pronounce this, but um, he had a question about um, 
Travis Etienne, will he break the single season touchdown record this year? Um, and I had to clarify with him. I wasn't sure if he meant uh, Clemson's record, which is 17 touchdowns, or Barry Sanders' record, which is 37 touchdowns. Um, I believe he meant Clemson's guys. Uh, so, Sam, what's your kind well, of take good, on Because it's not going to be Barry Sanders. <laughs> what's your take? Do you, do you believe um, Etienne is going to be able to you know, put together a season, get into the end zone 17 plus times? I think there's a lot of different pieces to that. Uh, it's a safe bet that ETN is not going to break Barry Sanders' record. We can we can put that one to bed now. Um, but the 17 held by Lester Brown, James Davis, and Wayne Gallman for Clemson is something that's potentially within reach. Uh, I think some of the key factors for his success this year are whether or not he's going to get the lion's share of um, goal line rushes between him, Feaster, and Choice. Uh, if Kelly Bryant is playing a lot at quarterback. He's going to take some carries. He's going to take some of those goal line rushes as well. Um, He's going to be explosive. He'll get some of those 40, 50, 60, 70 yard touchdown runs for sure. Uh, But we just, the volume may not be there for all four of those guys, Kelly and the three running backs to get a bunch of touchdowns. I don't think ETN is going to get to 17 because it's going to be spread out so thin. Well, and that's one of the reasons why it's so hard to do this day and age. I mean, you look, um, Lester Brown in 78, I'm assuming they weren't running out three or four running backs. Uh, James Davis, when he did in 06, that was CJ Spiller's first year. So he had really, I mean, he, he was come onto the scene, but they were still leading heavily on James Davis. And then of course, Wayne Gallman at 16, he was the back. Um, I think what, from what we saw last year is gonna be the same thing we are going to see this year is a heavy dose of three running backs being cycled in and out. And I think they'll probably eventually get down to their fourth uh, back and maybe Linda, Linda, Lynn J. Dixon, Dixon mm-hmm. um, or this other guy, the walk-on on the team. But it's going to be a three-headed monster for the most part. I think Adam Choice is actually going to turn some heads this year. People forget that he came in as a highly recruited four-star uh, running back, and he's been battling with injuries. But in his time back over the past few years, he's continued to get better. I think really, really boils down for ETN – um, it's not so much necessarily whether or not he's getting those uh, kind of goal line type of situations, but how many big runs does he break and take to the house? That's what sets him apart from guys like ETN or Adam Choice. Yeah, and CJ's big year when he had, uh, I think, 12 was his, his highest total when he was at Which Clemson. is kind of shocking. It's surprising. He had a lot of receiving yeah. big ones and return big ones as well, but most of CJ's touchdowns were on big plays, right? So ETN's a similar style player where he's going to have a lot of touchdowns from those big plays. Um, I just don't see him racking up 10 to 12, you know, short distance, pounding it in type touchdowns during the season. I think another factor that will impact these counts will be just what does Tony Elliott do with the offensive playbook and um, who's, who's quarterback. So I think maybe that's another maybe spin to this question. Who's blocking improved. Yeah. Yeah. Is is there is there a world? Yes, certainly. That's going to impact who is on the field from the running back position. Um, if any of these guys emerge as a pass protecting option uh, or leading the way, standing out in that aspect, they'll probably get the snaps. Um, but if you do see Trevor Lawrence come in here, could this total increase actually? Yeah, I think it's going to be interesting to watch that because if Lawrence is on the field, there's more of a deep passing threat than with Kelly. There's, he's going to take fewer carries than Kelly will on run-pass option type stuff. Fewer designed runs. Fewer designed runs for the quarterback. Though he can run. He can. He's capable. But they're, they're not going to design plays to except you know, maybe a fourth and short where he takes a snap and, and goes right up the middle. 
So if if Kelly gets a lot more playing time throughout the season and, and Trevor is either slow coming on or doesn't get the starts or whatever ends up happening there, it's going to be interesting to see what Elliott does. And I think it'll have a big impact on ETN's chance of, of getting to that 17 mark. Let me actually pepper in one more question we had here. Um, can, I, that, can I say one more thing before you? Sure. I think something that will have a big effect on that is the improvement of the offensive line over the year. More specifically, uh, blocking in the running game by the tight ends. Yeah, so a uh, question we got from Michael Hulish. Um, he's on Twitter at, at Michael Hulish. Uh, was how will the running game actually change if Trevor Lawrence or when Trevor Lawrence becomes quarterback? And I think that certainly he's going to be presented with design run plays far, far less often than Kelly Bryant. You will also likely opt to run far less um, when a play breaks down because your plays will likely break down when he's quarterback. Um, but I, I'd be curious to get your guys' stance actually on what the complexion of the running game looks like with TL under center. If, if you look back to what Deshaun Watson did in 2016, that was earlier in the year, and I think we were, like, if you saw the running game really stagnate, it was, I mean, it was pretty, I mean, we, Gallman was having a hard time finding three yards. Everyone knew that Deshaun Watson was not going to run. And I, and I think it, it's, like, Sam, you had a good point about stretching the field with Trevor Lawrence, like the, the DBs moving back, you know, having to really fear T. Higgins or, or whoever else is running the whatever deep routes. But like the, the other part of that too is like if, if the running back is not a, a, an active threat in the run game, like Kelly Bryant is that Deshaun Watson was towards the end of the year, I think you see more big play or bust. That's my, that's my thought. Like you, you're, you're going to see less moving the chains on a consistent basis, less like five to six yards per carry, which is what we can, you know, get a lot of times with Kelly Bryant being an mm-hmm. active threat. Now there's a cost with Kelly Bryant doing that. It's, 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 his health and I don't think it's sustainable and you saw it against Syracuse it's a loss to Syracuse yeah, yeah. and that, that actually that bleeds into his mechanics and at the end of the year he's not the same player so anyway there's some utility in Kelly Bryan I think he will get to play and we'll talk about that a little bit later but ultimately what the running game looks like with with uh, Lawrence there though I think you see me with Etienne especially is the you didn't have that with Deshaun Watson Gallman was not the same level of explosiveness well, as Etienne Etienne's going to know the playbook this year yeah he didn't know That'll it help. last year yeah yeah so, so that yeah. helps Big thing, yeah. And so he gets past the line of scrimmage into the second level. There's going to be a lot more big plays. And I'm, I'm all for, we know this to be true, explosive plays are the number one indicator of winning football. So I'm all for big play or bust, at least. You know. Especially when you have a deep defense that can afford to run back out there on the field pretty often. Yep. I think a big thing that, that happens when Trevor is in the game as opposed to Kelly is that the runs will be more between the tackles and less wide. Because uh, the run pass option is not going to be there. We're not going to be rolling Trevor out and doing pitches uh, and sending the running backs out wide as much. So that works sort of in, in Travis's favor in that he can get through the line really quickly and get to the second level even faster. Um, but it also, to Cody, to your point, we're not going to get five, six yards of carry that way. There are going to be ones where he just hits the line and gets stopped, and then there will be the plays where he breaks through and goes for 45 like it's nothing. I think outside of Alabama, I've never seen him be stopped at the line. It's not easy to do. <laughs> it's going to, I mean, he's going to yeah. break a ton this year and it's going to be ton, a ton of fun to watch, but. But 17 touchdowns uh, to tie the record or 18 to break the record. I think it's Feaster and Choice are going to get uh, too many carries for that. And I think our passing game is going to be much improved because it's not Kelly Bryant improving in that passing game, it's going to be Trevor Lawrence. So let me ask you guys one last question, kind of going back to the original distribution of snaps between the, the running backs, because there was some 1A, 1B questions where we're feast or land. If you had a one-game 
simulation or just one game against Alabama, we'll say, how, how many snaps do you want ETN to have Easter choice down the line? It really depends on how much ETN's blocking has improved and how his durability, essentially, because playing Alabama is a completely different beast than any other team we have on the schedule as far as their defensive line is concerned. So in that case, I may look to a guy like Feaster or Choice to hand the ball. Ball security makes a huge difference too, but ETN to me, and we saw this against Alabama last year, he's not a great antidote to Alabama if you're trying to have to run the ball up the middle, I don't think. He got stopped at the line a lot. You didn't see that same burst, so I might go with another guy. You might want to go for four or five yards, three or four yards against Alabama instead of trying to hit the home runs because I'm not sure you're going to. Well, when we... I don't know that I have a distribution answer to your question, but when we beat Alabama, Wayne Gallman did not have a tremendous game, but he also was able to move the chains and gain, you know, three and a half yards per carry. And he got stronger as the game went on. Um, and Cle- the important part is Clemson kept going to the run. And whatever, I guess whatever, my answer, Cody, is whatever keeps us um, moving from the moving the chains or, or from essentially going three and out um, is the answer. And I think you... ETN, yes, he does give you the home run capability. I would not expect that to come to fruition against Alabama. Unless you start wearing them down later in the game and bring him in. Bring, yeah, bring might, him in. I might be inclined to start, I mean, see what Feaster can give you. And Go I think the real answer choice. is whoever gives you the best pass pro. Um, and let's not also forget about this. The uh, utilization of the running backs in the passing game this year is going to go a long way to deciding how many snaps they get. Yeah, receiving is going to be a big key to that as well. But I think... You start with a bigger mix, spread it out a little more, and then towards the end of the game, I'd go heavy on ETN and let him break big stuff. Yeah. ETN's your, your crunch time he's guy. Yeah, agreed. His talent, we'll say he's separated himself. I think the, the question, the kind of the underlying question is, how are these guys stack? How do they stack up? And I think ETN's talent is, is despite maybe his limitations in pass pro, which all the running backs seem to have, he far exceeds the other guys at this point. Beaster having the most upside, Choice having probably the lowest upside. Darian Rencher. As the, the wild card, I guess. He's the wild card. I'm usually right about these things. So. Great. Well, uh, guys, let's take us back to another question here, going back to the quarterbacks. Uh, Will Dukes, um, follower of ours on Facebook, submitted this one. Um, we're going to sort of paraphrase Will's question here, but um, he had a question just related to to what, what extent do we consider and honor uh, Kelly Bryant's body of work so far in thinking through the quarterback position this year. Um, so I want to position this as a hypothetical. Um, you guys are Tony Elliott. As you look at the the landscape of this season, looking at our schedule, looking at our aspirations in the playoff for a title, um, how do you approach the quarterback position this year? Um, are you considering a platoon of some type? Do you really have an earmarked date or week of the season where you'd like to make a transition from one to the other? Um, or do you really define if your starter is Kelly Bryant from, from word go, do you have a leash for him in terms of if we see certain type of play or indecision or lack of accuracy, we got to make the move to Trevor Lawrence. Um, and Sam, I might flip it to you first. Okay. Uh, yeah, I think that we've taken a, a similar approach to what I would recommend this year in years past, where we have our designated starter Kelly at the beginning of the year and start with certainly our first three games. We've got, uh, Furman. AM and Georgia Southern. AM, I don't think there's any way that Trevor will be ready to start that game. But in the Furman and Georgia Southern games, I think you give him as much time on the field as possible to start to prep him. Uh, because the three after that, Tech, Syracuse, and Wake, are all slightly weaker opponents for the rest of the season as far as our schedule goes. 
And if you're going to make the transition to Trevor Lawrence, I think that's when you make it. Uh, going into the bye week, he needs to be ready coming out for uh, NC State. It's going to be one of our tougher games of the year. And I think if you're going to make a transition, that's the time to do it. So for me personally, I don't think, I think the precedent has been set that taking your team to a national or, or to a college football playoff appearance, let alone a national championship game appearance, two years in a row, Jalen Hurts, uh, that does not exclude you from losing your starting job to a talented freshman. And I'll tell you right now, Trevor Lawrence easily could start, be ready day one for any team in the country coming into the season. Uh, that being said, something's happened recently that has made me change my mind um, what I thought maybe back after the spring game. So obviously Clemson's faced with the situation of you have Tucker, Israel, and Zarek Cooper leave before the spring. You have Hunter Johnson leave after the spring game, leaving Clemson with three quarterbacks, three scholarship quarterbacks, Ben Batson, your fourth string quarterback. That's tough. Most colleges like uh, most college teams like to carry five to six quarterbacks. So depth is already really thin. You go into the fall and two weeks in, you name Trevor Lawrence the starter. What does Kelly Bryant do? Does he really want to sit around and do that? What if he leaves? Then you have two quarterbacks you can really rely on, and you're screwed at that point. So my initial thoughts were Kelly Bryant has to be your starter. Get him into the season. They're both going to get playing time. We know that. Our schedule is so weak this year that we'll be blowing teams out. Chase Bryce is going to get a lot of experience playing this year. So that was my general thought is that Kelly Bryant starts no brainer because you got to keep him on this team. That being said, the red shirt rule has changed. You get four games into a season now that you can play and still claim a red shirt. So Kelly Bryant can just go in saying, Hey, I've got four games to, to, to show them that I'm the best quarterback on this team. And if it doesn't work out, maybe he doesn't play for the rest of the year, maintains his eligibility eligibility and can go somewhere else for one more season. I don't think he's. I don't think he's thinking through that lens. I think he's thinking I'm the starter. The coaches think he's the starter. Well, you hope he's thinking that. Yeah, I mean, well, and Sam mentioned the transition plan, which I'm I'm fond of because I want to see Trevor Lawrence. But uh, but I don't think that's the way they're thinking of it. I think it's a it's very it's fluid. It's a you know you're thinking you're optimizing as you go. And I think you start out you're you're bringing both of them, mix a mixture of uh, of reps or snaps. Most of those going to Kelly Bryant. He's going to take a toll. He's got to run to be effective. He's got to get into the 20 plus runs per game to be effective. That's going to take its toll. Now, do you, you need, so I think in a way you need both. And I'm not so sure about Trevor Lawrence and his body if it's fully mature too. So I think it's, I think the best of both worlds, like get both of them in. But then I think, I think kind of the pendulum swings into, into Trevor Lawrence's, he's going to get more snaps at some point he's going to win over, win over the job well and that's what we said last year going into the season about kelly bryant now i know trevor lawrence wasn't on the football team but he had hutter johnson he had Zarek cooper um what you're saying is that kelly bryant's going to need to rely heavily on his running game based on what we saw last year what if he makes the jump like he did from uh, the previous year to last year what if he makes some sort of similar progression to where he's 50 50 better at passing the ball and he's a legitimate threat passing the ball. Do you think he needs to rely on his legs as much? And maybe he doesn't take that toll on yeah, his body I think, from getting hit I so think much. if he makes a jump, that's why we have to start with him at the beginning of the year and get Bryce and Trevor in as much as possible. If Kelly kills it, he's already taken us to you know, a college football playoff. He's a capable quarterback. If he makes a vast improvement, there's no reason to jump to the unproven freshman unless in late in those games when we start getting him some snaps – he looks absolutely unstoppable. And that's why I think you start with Kelly. And if you are going to make the switch, it needs to happen around that bye week. After that point, if Kelly's still your starter after the bye week, 
I think you got to stick with him through the rest of the season and continue to give Let's, spot reps. Let me to, let to me Trevor. let me contend with bad narrative here, and it's not it's you're not the first that said this, Sam. Kelly Bryant took us to a playoff. I would I would say the defense took us to a playoff. Yeah, it's Kelly not, Bryant was the it, he was managing. I was, was going to say that. There. So it's, yeah. it's not a question of whether or not Kelly Bryant can get this team into a college football playoff. It's can Kelly Bryant win a national championship? Yeah, and I think that's what the coaches need to be looking for throughout the year. Is are they seeing improvement in ways that they think will trans will translate to playing Alabama? And I think Ben, when you say will he make a leap of some type, what we mean by that is in his accuracy and in his decision making. Um, and there might be aspects of both that you just can't coach. You can't get enough experience to improve. You are who you are. But I think there are certain ways. We have seen players in the past make leaps. Kelly Bryan himself looked no further than when he was getting spot snaps under the Deshaun Watson era. Um, you know, And again, they weren't necessarily calling him plays to use his arm. But he, had, he made some impressive throws last year, including not just in the beginning of the season. Um, so I think, again, if they if they do see what they need to see from him throughout the season, I think maybe they will go with it. If not, though, I hope they have a short a short leash to, to make the transition to Trevor Lawrence because the goal of this team especially, of course, of every team, but you know, this is a one-year window at this point to win a title. Agreed. You got all hands on deck. You got to go all in, and you can't, you can't float Kelly Bryan out there if he doesn't like he's taken a 20% step in the passing game. And the other part is we say unproven freshman, and maybe in our minds, like we – we draw a baseline of like Hunter Johnson as a five-star unproven freshman, but that's not who Trevor Lawrence is. He's he's more in the vein of Deshaun Watson as a freshman. I mean, he's been talked about as the best high school player some have ever seen. So we're not talking about a guy that we don't know what he's going to give us. He's he's going to be good. Well, how spoiled are we? We get Deshaun Watson, who everybody's like, he's a generational type talent. And then a couple of years later, we get Trevor Lawrence, a generational type talent. And we have to start redefining what that means at Clemson, at least for this era. Yeah, and to keep him off the field, you're essentially going to need Kelly Bryant to be uh, really a national top 10 quarterback. And that's, I think that's my point, is that Kelly is our starter to begin the season. Uh, But it's it's not inevitable, but I think it's fairly certain that Trevor is going to get a lot of snaps early on. And I think most of the fan base probably agrees that it's likely that we make that transition at some point. And so I was looking at it through that lens and when would make most sense. Well, let me ask you guys, who is Clemson's quarterback starter for the Florida State game? Trevor Lawrence. I agree. It's Florida State's Florida for the Florida State game. <laughs> James Blackman. Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, well, that no, I mean, that that's another good point is, yeah. you know, Kelly Bryant's an injury away from being the starter all season. Absolutely. Trevor Lawrence is an injury away from being the starter all season. Chase Bryce is two injuries away from well, removing injuries yeah. from the scenario. Yes. Yeah. Well, all guys healthy, we're healthy. Who's Normally we can remove inj- injuries from the scenario, but we got three quarterbacks on this team. So that's actually something to, to pay attention to. I and think it's Kelly Bryant. It and guess what? So totally thinks it's Kelly Bryant. To start the season? For, no, no, it's the start State. of Florida State. By the time we get to week 10 or whatever it is, I still think he'll be our starter. Yeah, it's week nine. Two weeks after the bye. I don't want to buy into the hype. Kelly Bryant got his, he hurt his finger in the spring game this year, right? Was that the issue? Was that the year before? That was last year. That this was year was his confidence that was broken. Okay. <laughs> well, there you go. Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I know the, the buzzer just went off, but the idea is Kelly Bryant's body of work and lo- feeling loyalty to him. And I, that's that's the other thing. There's like this contingent, the mob of, of maybe social media, of Clemson fans, comment boards, wanting to protect like Kelly Bryant like he's and, due 
to continue to have a shot. Like we should be loyal to him. Well, he has he has earned the job to be the starter and and lose the job. Now, if he gets into the season and he's not playing better than Trevor Lawrence, he doesn't deserve to stay there. Trevor Lawrence deserves to be the starting quarterback, and we have to trust the coaches to make that decision. My loyalty, what I'd say, my loyalty is to Christian Wilkins. It's to Cleveland Farrell, the guys that came back. Everybody nothing against game. Kelly yeah. Bryant, but my loyalty is to them and whoever gives us the best chance at quarterback. You got to you got to put the best guy out there at the same time as a fan base. We shouldn't be rooting against anybody on this football team. I don't think yeah. anyone's doing yeah. that, though. And that, like Those are weird accusations. If someone is saying that, uh, you know, fan base, they wanted the, the what would they say? The backup quarterbacks and most popular guy on the team. When it's Trevor Lawrence, it's justified. though. Have you seen the hair? We we are over time here. Let yeah. us move on. Let's move on, guys. We have a, our next question comes to us from Dale Collier via email. Thank you, Dale. Dale asked us, which non Trevor Lawrence freshman are you most excited about for this fall? He offered up. Darian Kendrick, wide receiver, and Xavier Thomas, defensive end. Two good answers. Cody, where are you on the true freshman coming in, making an impact this fall? So, yeah, it's easy to start with the five stars. I'm actually, I'm going to look at the defensive ends and echo what he said with Xavier Thomas. I think in all, in all the excitement of Trevor Lawrence, we, we got another Daquan Bowers. We got really, literally, a, a number one player, another Dexter Lawrence type talent. Like, that's how good Xavier Thomas is. So, I don't think we should discount that just because there's other talent. Like, he's going to be a game changer. He's going to have an impact from day one. I'm, I'm definitely most excited about him. I think he gives a little bit more of like a bull rush type skill set that we, we don't have. So, I think whether it's situational or it's every down, he's going to be a force to be reckoned with. And I, I'd also say KJ. Henry, I'm, he'll be more of a developmental guy, but I think you'll see his progress throughout the year, and I'm, I'm interested to, to watch him. He's so long and fast. It, it'll be just two very fun defensive ends to watch. And I think you will see these guys get a lot of reps because, yes, we do bring back the the stud quad you know quartet um, on the D-line, but you will see the coaching staff, I think, work on that development. Dude, they'll be cycling, cycling in, in, in yeah. the second quarter in some Let's of these hope. games. <laughs> Yeah, my, I'm going to stick with defensive line for my answer. Um, I'm really hearing a lot of good things about this guy, Josh Belk, you guys. Um, I think he's going to be really good contributor. Um, Tully. Tully, there's, did you not see the news? What news? Josh, Josh Belk transferred. He's not Reed Tiger Net. Oh, I mean, he. okay, so he's out. He must be going to a marquee program then, right? Like He didn't like Clemson, maybe Georgia, Alabama, Ohio State. Uh, not, not so much. Where's he going? Some team down south, down the road, middle of the state. Citadel. Garbage pile. Citadel would have been a good option. Um, They have won more recently over the team that he actually went to. All right. I guess Jake Vanable is my answer then. Um, Really excited to see um, from a cultural standpoint what Jake can do in that locker room. Um, Sam, who do do you have? Uh, I went with a couple of positions. I had two. Uh, the first one was a position where we need help right away. Uh, and I went with Kyler McMichael at quarterback, cornerback. Um, I think he's going to need to contribute quickly because we're pretty thin there. Uh, and the other one is one where we're actually way deeper than we're used to. And it's going to be a fun battle. Uh, BT Potter at kicker. I want to see who comes out of that three-headed monster of, of our, our kickers and see who wins the job. Who do you th- how do you think that will play out? Will we have two different guys on kickoffs versus place kicking? I think we'll probably split duties a bit more than we're used to. Uh, we're used to having somebody like Hugo go all the kicking duties, right? Um, we'll probably get the guy that is able to hit the most 
field goals as our field goal kicker, the guy with the biggest leg as our I think Potter's got guy. the biggest lead. He Potter might actually be, be kicking off with Hugel. He's uh, the interesting one because he could field be goals. he could be that guy yeah. across the board. So I'd, I'd be curious to see if he wins the job outright or if they continue to split uh, the the roles throughout the season. Wonder if Eamon Lakekip has any res, uh, eligibility left on uh, special teams. <laughs> who is um who was guilty of hurting Greg Hugel last year in a drill? It was Christian Wilkins. Rolled rolled him up. Yeah. He just he knew Potter was. Because now we have plenty of kickers that we up. can go live and afford some. Christian's plan was in place long ago, guys. He knew he was coming back. He knew we had Potter coming. We have more scholarship kickers than quarterbacks. Yeah, that's just wanna, weird. Just want to point that out. Following up on yes. that. Um, so my guy Sam, I'm going to kind of uh, um, piggyback on yours, the DB position, just because uh, defensive back is uh, the depth is is not there coming into this year, or at least the proven depth. Murray Goodrich. So both these guys, McMichael and Goodrich, not on campus yet. They come in over the summer. So I think the coaching staff is looking for definitely one of them to be able to contribute and step in right away. So it's going to come down between McMichael and Goodrich. Um, but a little bit less talked about guy, and I and he may not get a lot of playing time, make much of an impact at the beginning of the season. Braden Galloway. We've been hearing a lot of really good things about him uh, coming out of practice at the tight end position. You know, they think he may be in that next Jordan Leggett mold. And while Garrett Williams is coming along, coming back from an injury, and it does seem he's turned the corner, um, and you've got Mylon Richard there, the incumbent starter uh, from last year, I would not be surprised to see Galloway come on later in the season and start having an impact and making some catches. I think he's the future right now at tight end. I kind of like that uh, approach to it. We usually have a couple of freshmen who get developed really well throughout the season and contribute late that we don't see much of early in, in the year. Do you guys have any others that kind of fit that mold that you think they're not quite ready now, but by the end of the year, they're going to be somebody that we rely on heavily? I mean, if if Lynn J. Dixon proves to be effective in pass protection, I think he might get snaps. Um, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a very crowded depth chart at the running back position. But to me, that you almost think we're going to need more contribution there than we will in yards gained um, with such powerful offense. I'm going to be interested to see if uh, – Darnell Jeffrey, speaking of Josh Belk, if uh, he gets some playing time this year and what we get out of him, because going into the next year with the departure of Belt, we're going to be a little bit shallow at, at tackle. Albert Huggins leaves at the end of this year, too. So I'll be interested to see if he's able to make much of an impact. Yeah, and I think an obvious answer on the offensive line is Jackson Carmen, because he came in, we expected great things, like a Mitch Hyatt-type freshman performance, and he, he wasn't quite that. He's a little bit overweight. He, I think he has all the athleticism in the world, but I think he's going to start out at guard. Uh, with potential to move to tackle. And I think not only does he need to be good by the end of the year, he needs to be like probably starter level by next year. So I, I really, we need to see that improvement. Okay, moving on. Obviously, I think the future is bright when we look at all the talent that we covered there in that segment. Um, we did not touch on the redshirt freshmen that are returning for this year. Any highlights there you guys want to touch on? I'm going to go with Jordan Williams. He's been turning heads. I think he turned heads on practice squad last year. Uh, you know, another guy that we're going to need because of the departures that are soon to come at defensive tackle. He's looked really good as a three tech. That would be where Christian Wilkins plays. Yeah. And definitely when we talked about spelling some of the, the NFL bound guys, um, he stands to be one that gains snaps, particularly with Belk leaving. I'm thinking Chase Bryce. I want to see what we got out of him because, uh, Three years after Trevor Lawrence is gone, he may be the guy to lead this team for one season. Now we'll move on to our next question. Came via Twitter from Ryan underscore Cantor. 
Um, thank you, Ryan. Which teams on our schedule could establish the run against us? You didn't give him a shout out. He's Ryan uh, Cantor from Shaken Southland. Um, I'm going to say none. Bring us some stats. Now, is it who's going to have more success? Like the most success? I, I think. He, let me rephrase this question. I think he's like, who has the most? Who has the highest likelihood of actually making it a game against us by establishing the run? Uh, well, let's put it this way: Clemson was 12th in the nation last year in rush defense, giving up 115 yards a game. Uh, the most they held every team that, that we played below 200 yards. With the most being Georgia Tech at 198, which is all far that as, came in the fourth. And quarter. as far as Georgia Tech is concerned, that is half of what they want to produce, if not less than half. Uh, the least FSU had 21 yards. Auburn had like 28 or something like that. And then we've got everybody on that defensive line coming back, and you've got really good li- linebackers. And in the secondary, you got guys like Isaiah Simmons coming over the top to help in the run. Uh, same thing with Tanner Muse. Um, so I don't see teams improving against us at all this year. Um, I'm not expecting the running game to be something that hurts us. Even so, Alabama. Yeah, I mean, we return most of the same core this year, um, with the exception of Dorian O'Daniel. And if Alabama... And again, this wasn't necessarily their game plan against us, but they were not able to establish the run. We bring back the same, largely the same defense, maybe a little more athleticism in the secondary. Um, yeah, this, you know, it's. So it I guess the question is sense. what running backs on our schedule could hurt us? Or running quarterbacks. Or running quarterbacks. Yeah. I, I think if you're looking at teams that are going to put up the most rushing yardage against us, Georgia Tech's always going to be at the top of that list because it's all they do, right? If they do anything, it's going to be through the run game. Um, so my money would probably be on them to have the most yardage against us, yeah, but I don't think that means it's going to be a tough game, honest, yeah. right? It's not going to be to put up a, a fight against us. Um, there are a couple other teams on our schedule that were in the top 30 or 40 in the country last year, as far as rushing yards per game, Louisville, not going to be the same as last year without um, Lamar Jackson, Georgia Southern, again, similar to Georgia tech. They're going to put up yards in other games, probably not against us. Uh, but they're not going to put up a fight. BC and Wake are the other two that were in the top 40 that we play this year. But I just, I don't see it from any of them, really. We're going to game plan against the run. Does BC have that one dude coming back? He was a freshman. Dylan? Dylan, Dylan. yeah. Yeah. I just, he's not that scary. That's the strength of their team, but Brent Venables knows that, and he lives to take away the opponent's key skill set. So, you know, BC was a thorn in our side a year ago. Um, that was an annoying game and could be an annoying game again when it's we go, usually an annoying we go game. to play against them. But um, I, my answer to this is Florida State, actually. And I don't think you can look at that effort last year. Um, backup quarterback who, you know, was this was his first, you know, big environment game um, playing at Death Valley um, against a ferocious defense. We completely stacked the box against Cam Akers. Cam Akers will be one more year. You've got a new offensive system. Maybe by week nine when we play them. Um, they will have more of a rushing identity. So I just think Cam Akers' big playability, and depending what they get out of their quarterback's mobility, could is likely to be um, the game where, and again, it's a hostile environment playing in Tallahassee. This would be my answer. I go with, I, I echo that also because uh, Willie Tiger, he's going to do more pace. That could be, a th- granted, we have more depth this year, and we expect Dexter Lawrence to be, instead of 75%, we expect him to be closer to 100%. That's a big factor, but... I think Willie Taggart's pace, the way Syracuse implemented it last year, could potentially stand to hurt us a little bit. 
I guess maybe asking the other side of the question Ryan didn't ask us, is there a passing offense on our schedule that bothers you guys? Wake Forest, no. South no. Carolina. South Jake, Carolina. Jake, Jake Bentley. Bentley. He's, 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 he's going to win the Heisman this year. Heard that. From what I hear. Um, I, yeah. I, I kind of agree. I don't really see. I mean, I think maybe Ryan Finley is the most experienced threatening quarterback, but I don't know that he has the skill position players to back him up um, to get that done. Who's Miami's year. quarterback? We don't play Miami. I think an ACC championship game. I see. I'm Malik Ruzier still. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, a for, former can... Notre Dame, right? That was Zaire. That was Zaire. He went to Florida. Gotcha. Razier had his struggles, and I think uh, if we can put pressure on him, he's not going to be likely to torch us. Our schedule is so weak this year. I'm really not going to start paying attention until the South Carolina game. <laughs> um, but, I mean, I think actually the sneaky answer here is likely Texas A&M because they do have a – it's going to be a quarterback battle, and – Lord knows with Jimbo Fisher um, what we'll actually get out of that offense. But um, Kellen Mond could be a legit running threat against us. And it's just a, a look that we haven't seen before. You know, uh, Jameis Winston gets three weeks off to start the NFL season this year. You think uh, Jimbo brings him in in disguise for Texas A&M for our game? As long as he's wearing a mustache on the sidelines. Yeah. He'll probably be able to sneak in. Blend right in. Yeah. Not sh- I don't think that'll happen, guys. Let's move on. (laughs) Before we get into it, we have two questions left, um, not necessarily related to this year's team, um, but a little more macro about Clemson and then about the collegiate landscape. I'm going to go with the lighter-hearted question, and then we'll wrap up with the more kind of focused discussion here. Um, This question came to us from another Shake in the Southland writer and contributor, Glenn Bertram, at Glenn Bertram, two N's, B-E-R-T-R-A-M. Thank you, Glenn. Um, Glenn was asking us, you know, it's it's easy for us to exalt the greats, um, the great Clemson athletes. Uh, we can debate all the time, like, who's our favorite quarterback, Cody, um, or who's our favorite Clemson football player. Cody is a uh, Taj Boyd loyalist. Um, but actually, what Glenn's interested in is who are the lovable rascals? Who are kind of the unsung guys that um, maybe are flawed in some way that are favorites of us here at the podcast um, I think that's a that's a good question. So, um, Sam, looking in your direction, and it, I think maybe you can take a, a broader scope here. He did ask athlete, yeah. not necessarily football. So I, I had a couple answers to this. One was on the football front, um, and I took a maybe not as flawed as a player, but more flawed as a contributor to the team. Uh, and my answer was Martavis Bryant, somebody who struggled staying on the field due to suspensions, and that continues in his professional career. Um, as a Raider fan, I wish he would figure it out like right now so that he could contribute to my professional favorite team. Um, but he's somebody who's clearly incredibly talented and just can't quite make it all work. Uh, and then on the non-football end of things, I, my answer was Andre Young, uh, from the basketball team, uh, from like 2009 to 2012. He was a tiny point guard type player. I'm a, I have a soft spot for the really short guys that that get out there and play hard. Uh, had he been four or five inches taller, he probably could have been an NBA guy. Very skilled, but just not big enough to play solid defense or, or orchestrate an offense effectively all the time. Um, so that's that's my answer. Cool. Ben, what are you thinking? I'm going to go Taj Boyd. 
I'll take that one off the air, Cody. I'm going to say Artavis Scott. He's not flawed from like a between the years standpoint. That's where he's like mentally, he's mentally tough. But he wasn't like, he wasn't your prototypical, even like two wide receiver. But he just, he made it work. He was like a running back. He had so much heart. So I'm going to go with him. I'll be interested to see how he, how that translates to the NFL. He's on practice squads right now. He's had some opportunities with a few teams, but he's a guy that I think that given some experience could shine a little bit and find a, you know, a spot for himself. Kind of like Woody Dantzler did for the Cowboys there for a little while. Um, but my real answer, uh, not to poke fun at Cody, is um, Reggie Merriweather. How can it be anyone but Hunter Renfro? He's not unsung, and he's yeah. going to go be a he great NFL fun. player. Yeah, he ain't very fun. You know how many championship touchdown passes he's going to receive from uh, Tom Brady? So many. None. So many. Um. I think a lot of this relates to just how we interpret the question. I went with J. Ron Curse, um, safety um, from the 2015 national champion runner-up team. Um, Curse was such a beast. Um, so, what six foot four? Um, maybe at that position, what it, would you say that's undersized, Cody? Oh, it's it's definitely oversized. Yeah, it's oversized. He's six five too. Yeah. Yeah. So he oh he's six five. Yeah, he's I tall. I six four. I mean, incredible he, wingspan. He struck me as flawed in the sense of, I think, maybe how the end of his Clemson tenure went. Um, a lot of fans were concerned about him just focusing strictly on his draft grade, um, not being fully bought into um, how he was going to finish his career with the team. And, of course, we lost Alabama. I don't think you can lay that at his feet necessarily, but um, he, he gave us a lot of great contribution that season. I actually think he went out in the Notre Dame game with an injury that was underreported the rest of the year. Uh, but Curse, I mean, the one highlight play I remember is that he came back um, to prevent a kickoff return touchdown against Louisville um, that helped us seal that game up in Louisville on a Thursday night. Basically looked like LeBron on a chase down block um, coming from nowhere to That was faster than his 40 time. Yeah. So uh, that shows you all you need to know about his skill, talent, and, and heart as a player. Um, so J. Ron Curse is playing for the Vikings still. Um, he's got a chance to contribute. And... Six four, six five. Sure, six four, six five. He's a big guy, which means he's six three. Yeah, it could be. <laughs> Although I, I feel like we should look at his combine measurables because those are always uh, pretty spot on. Without shoes standing on your right. toes, exactly. Yeah, your hair. Yep. Um, yeah, good question, Glenn. Did not get Glenn's answer. We should definitely uh, hit him up on Twitter for that one. Uh, but that will, I guess we we went early on this one, so I'll reset the timer. Um, that brings us to our last question, which will probably take us through the end of the show. Um, and we actually got three really strong questions from James Lucas. So thank you, James. Um, I feel like a couple of these we could unpack in a longer episode. Um, his questions really touched on what's going on in collegial athletics at, the time, at, at this moment. Um, a lot of discussion, debate happening on television and elsewhere related to pay the players, things like um, eligibility rules uh, around one and done in basketball. So a lot of good questions um, happening here, and we certainly have talked about this offline as a crew here at the podcast, and we've we've debated how much we should bring this on air and kind of talk through our, our takes. Um, we're going to stick with one of James's questions here, though, uh, relating to current regulations of player eligibility to turn professional. Um, we all know that basketball has changed over the years. In the mid to late 90s, into the early 2000s, players were eligible to go into the league. 
um, straight out of high school. That changed. They need to spend at least one year in college. Um, in football, you essentially can leave one year early. Or there's there's something related to age after high school. Um, Maurice Claret, yada yada yada, um, which is a different rule than basketball, and certainly a different rule than collegiate baseball, where you can actually get drafted and go through the whole process and opt to come back to play. Um, we also know some things have changed in basketball recently, where you can go into the draft process into the combine without declaring. Well, hiring an agent. Hiring an agent, yeah. and you can actually come back to school. That's playing out with Clemson, thankfully, for this coming year's team. So um, kind of a lot of inconsistency is really one word I would use to describe it. Um, so I, I want to maybe pivot this from a question into an exercise here, guys. Let's say we're on a panel and we're rewriting the rules across the collegiate athletics landscape. Let's say we've done away with the NCAA because it's a terrible organization and we're building it from the ground up. Um, you guys each get one idea to throw in to how we change collegiate athletics as we know it. Cody, starting with you. Okay, I'm going to be very radical, and I'm going to say just move away. I want to see a contingent of college football teams or just universities altogether, say that this would extend beyond football to basketball, baseball, et cetera, to form some type of union that operates exists completely separately of the NCAA uh, with which you will pay players. Like, yes, pay, you're like probably people are thinking that sounds like a major league system, another NFL. That's exactly what I mean. But I think in order for institutions to get away from the NCAA and it's kind of backwardsness and its laws, its contradictions, it's, um, I guess the facade of the student athlete, you got to get, you got to be more progressive because there's lawsuits starting to, starting to mount up, stack up. I think they need to formulate like their own little 16 team, 32 team division or its own league uh, with a central governing body. That's not like the NCAA that actually has a, a panel of strong leaders. It could be like Jay Billis. It could be someone that we know. But someone with strong leadership, and that's one one area where the NCAA fails. They don't have a, a central person. I guess Mark Emmert would that be that guy, but I think that's a he's, he's a not strong leadership. It's a mouthpiece yeah. for presidents, and doesn't really take the players' best interest into consideration, despite claiming to do so. So again, like a like a Adam Silver with uh, the NBA, just a, a guy that's taken from the business sector. It doesn't have to be in college football. And bring them in, have your own 32-team division, and recreate just a minor league system. Can you or, talk? Yeah. Can you talk to us about what might be? You, you mentioned pay the players, but what what else might be different about how that's run versus today? So yeah, it would also be the Olympic model. So I see this like allowing players to profit off of their own likeness. I see that as a huge restriction of liberty of, of, of someone's personal freedom. That I think, regardless where you sit on a political spectrum, I think there's something we can all get behind. Like. Someone is providing value to, to an institution or to a greater entity, and they're not out able to make money off of it, but others are. It's a, so, yeah, so profiting off of one's likeness, whether that's the video games, jersey sales, um, whatever whatever the appearances. case. Appearances. Yeah, like to go girly, Todd Gurley signing a football, and, and the, mem- the guy, the memorabilia, memorabilia guy, actually calling him out. And then he, like... Suspended, like stuff like that. Move away. Like if Deshaun Watson wants to go to a birthday party and the and the kid's dad wants to pay Deshaun Watson appearance fee, yes, you can make money off of that. And it's so petty. When it gets down to the memorabilia part, like that is just so ridiculously petty that you can't sign a football and make a little money. And if you let all of them do it, guess what? The value is going to go down anyways. Um, so it's a non-issue. That, that that's such a petty part about all of this. There's much I, I broader guess, issues, but yeah. the the memorabilia, it's just it's petty. I like the thought, Cody. Um, 
why not just make that possible today? Why do we need to transform the whole landscape? I think I think the NCAA is just dying a slow death, and they're they're I don't want to say they're doubling down. They're trying to do a little bit, but they just can't do enough. Um, I think you just have to remove them altogether, or or you will you're going down with them because college basketball, the NBA is coming for college basketball. It's got something to contend with, and it better like be ready. I don't think the NCAA is ever proactive well, with anything. Well, here here's the thing. Let's let's get at what we're really talking about. When we're talking about football. And the reason is we're talking about the NFL, and the NFL is the most lucrative sports business. And what you see in the most lucrative sports businesses, they put less and less money or interest into developing any type of amateur athlete, right? There's no minor league system for the NFL. The D-League and the NBA or the G League, G League whatever mm-hmm. it's called now, is it's better than what it used to be when it started, but it's still not much of anything, um, right? Major League Baseball has extensive minor league systems. They don't make a lot of money, like especially in college. Like that's that's your third best grossing, biggest grossing sport, but it's not paying for themselves. Football's paying, and then in a lot of schools, basketball's paying. So the NFL is wiping its hands clean. So they don't want to have anything to do with it. Um, it makes sense with the rule of like coming in and playing three years and then being able to go because you know your body's not developed as a high school student to be able to play in the NFL. Uh, Major League Baseball, I think, has it right um, with baseball is either you declare out of high school and you can go through the minor league system or you can develop your amateur skills in college um, and then come out after your third season. With basketball, it's completely flawed. Uh, The one and done rule, that whole thing, um, it's never been right. The NBA and and college basketball has not had it right for years. So I think that's where their seat at the table comes into the discussion about playing athlete, paying athletes. But I think at the end of the day, I totally agree with Cody. The NCAA is flawed, and you have to start there by getting rid of it. I think you have to rebuild this entire thing. And But what I fear and what I don't hear from people that uh, really push for the pay-for-play thing is in all of it, the academic part of it gets lost. And I don't care what you say. At the end of the day, these kids are playing for a university. It's an academic institution. The sports teams do not exist without the university. And I can very much see a day where college football is like club teams, like a lot of you know, schools used to have, which are just amateur guys that are never going to do anything in, in football, maybe go coach, but that's not their career. Um, so I think you got to really strip it down to the basic terms and make it more about ac- academics. I'm not uh, opposed to paying players. Uh, I'm not opposed. I will say I'm not opposed to playing paying players. What I have not heard is a good description of how that would go because it's a very slippery slope to start funneling all this money into specific athletes' hands at that age, especially in a college environment. Well, so, they deserve that money. They should get it. You know, like international. Well, then there should be players. then there should be a professional yeah. system that should support them in that. Absolutely, and I, I think right now that doesn't exist, and the NCAA is a big reason why they don't want that to exist because they lose a lot yeah. of their power. If you don't want to go to school, there should be a pathway for you to avoid that and yeah. be able to develop your skills and move forward. The thing is about college football is there is no better preparation for the NFL than college football. So I think that's, there's no better facilities, coaching or anything like that. The that's pro- not the question. I it's think that's like, part of the problem, though, Ben, because other students that are not athletes can have any career that they want while they go to school. Why should it be different for athletes? Why can't they play in a minor league or do a summer job type thing and play well, that, in the summer and get paid? Well, that's that's part of my problem. Well, a college baseball athlete can't go play minor league baseball and get paid and come back to college. No, but they go you play with summer league teams right now. Right, but you're not getting paid, right? But no, the, the problem but, is they but can, why not? They could go play football, 
but there's no system to support that. Yeah. Right. So, it, it's it's so and it's because the NFL has absolutely no freaking interest in developing, putting any absolutely. money or any thought into that because they come fresh out of college, ready for them to play. Now, so you with, got with it. So, you got it. Mind. You got it. Something here, like college football players put invest so much time at their time in school into football, and that translates to big money for the university. It even more unfairly translate into big into big money for the NCAA. They don't have time on their hands. They go to class. They have their their whole life is football outside of that. They can't go hold a part time job like some other kid no. can to help support themselves. These kids aren't coming. A lot of these kids aren't coming from rich families that are just padding their their bank account while they're there. So of course, like the system is broken. They deserve some type of assistance with as much effort and as contribution as they're giving to the university. But that's why, to the point that I'm getting at, where it gets back to the academic side of it, you're right. The big gripe is a lot of these kids aren't interested in going to class. Like, you see them in class and a lot of these other schools, and I'm sure it happens at Clemson, not to the same extent, because I think there is a more well-respected academic environment at Clemson. You hear a lot of the kids coming to school talk about the academics. But still, not all of you know, a lot of them come to plan, plan to be there three years, um, they do get their degree, yeah, but Clemson not necessarily in something that I think part of the argument is, is like, well, there's value in your education. Well, not if you're just kind of taking PRTM classes yeah. and th- that's never going to translate to anything. So my idea is bringing the sports part of it and what you learn in the sport that you do and making that a major, making that a pathway for education, because you cannot tell me that learning a college football playbook and a system does not take some degree of intelligence and being in that locker room and being part of a program develops leadership skills that you don't get anywhere else. So all that time that they spend, uh, you know, in the tape rooms, learning the playbook, breaking down film and stuff like that, I think that should go to contribute to their college education because I think it is very valuable for them. They get guys that that graduate college and don't go to play in the NFL. I guarantee you, most of them they get more value in their professional life from what they learned on that football team and their developmental skills than any. BS major that they that they took just to get by. I think that's a really interesting approach that you don't hear talked about much. Um, but I think it also gets to sort of what I would want to see out of a new system. Uh, and it doesn't necessarily have to eliminate everything that currently is in place. But the NBA and college basketball are moving in the right direction with potentially removing one and done, in my opinion. Uh, give the players a chance to get an education if they want. Uh, you can't play both professionally, the NBA rules, right? You're not going to get an education one year in school. Exactly. So why, why make these players go do that? Minor league systems are really something that needs to be in place for every major sport in Europe. You've got the club teams Mm -hmm. and, uh, relegation promotion systems where there are minor teams that can help build skill players start at 10, 13, 15, whatever it is. There's no system. Yeah, and they would probably lose occasionally and get demoted. Um, but I think something a minor league system is is necessary to give these players a chance to develop their professional it, careers. It, but they also need the ability to get to an to education yeah. if they want it. Yeah, uh, I don't think it needs to be one or the other. So yeah. right now it's sort of one or the other. If you want to do any schooling. You've got to stay for the whole time. And that's right? why I think it's as big a problem with the NCAA as it is with the NFL. Absolutely. I think the NFL has a lot to do with it because you can't tell me that the NFL has no say. Like their pipeline is college football. So just to kind of tighten the discussion, Cody, new governing body, possibly a new alignment of teams. I think we all agree with the new governing body. Uh, ben, 
But I guess my the caveat would be I I think the universities have to be have to make the first move there. That's the that's the difference. Meaning concede removal it, of the NCAA. It, you know, and, right, like band giving together. control band it, together, but also giving control to a central body. You're gonna get a yeah. pushback again. They're still academic institutions. So I think that's why and kind of what I'm talking about is you still have to somehow loop the academic part into that because I yeah. think you'll get and more a, yeah. more of a buy-in holistically. And you're saying make the athletic participation make part it, of a degree Make it program. important. Like, make the coaches care about it. Make the coaches, like, you know, the, the programs they're, they're developing to help advance their players actually count towards their, their academic success as well. Like, I think it's too far separated from each other that it's not – it's not about the superstars. It's about the kids in between, right, that are never going to go professional in the NFL. And then they put their bodies on the line. I mean, they come out with, like, significant, like, lifelong injuries and stuff like that. Like, well, I guess the question is, I'm, okay, let's say I'm, you know, a pretty good collegiate linebacker, don't have a, a future in the pros. I majored in football, or I got a degree there. What career paths does that open? It's what up? Ben Bulwer's doing. It's what Taj Boy's doing. It's 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 sports commentating. It's doing camps and stuff like that. Eventually, a lot of these guys become coaches and they become leaders of young. Um, so it's giving them women. an avenue to commit their yeah, lives to football. Christian Wilkins is out being substituting t- teaching. I know the numbers time. work out. There's like a, a team full of 85 football players and there's um, eight to nine coaches on. You know, it's like I'm I don't not, think there's the like they don't they don't all yes they don't all become coaches, but. There's front office positions. There's tons of stuff that goes into athletics. I I think a a major in football doesn't preclude them from having the econ degree or the history degree. Like that's still an option. Yeah, and then go back to grad school. They don't have to. Yeah, yeah, extend eligibility or part of your scholarship. Go go back to grad school. Just think, part of it is taking a lot of the burden off the college kids uh, while they're in school. Because again, in addition to the classes they're having to take. They especially with football, like you're putting so much time in. So can you I, start. Can I? Can I? Can I and I, and I still think some sort of payment system, some sort of stipend, is part of my equation. Can I add an addendum sure. to sure. your your plan? Like, because sure. I'm not saying by like creating a new league to remove the academic part of it. Like, I would, I would. Prefer, I know you're not. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the players to be active in, in the yeah. academic realm as well. I would like to see some type of deferred uh, education that they could have, so you could major in football while you're there. But because you're putting in so much time, and let's be honest, it's a full time job what they're doing. Yeah, I would like maybe after that you accrue some type of like uh, you know financial benefit that you can apply towards a scholarship after your your days are right. Yeah, or to go get, to go pursue if you want to go pursue. Uh, well, and here's the other here's the other time. here's the other caveat to all of this. Kids these days are a lot more interested in their education than they used to be, say, back in the 70s playing college football, especially with the whole CTE thing and people realizing how much this is really going to affect their lives down the road. Um, education is big, uh, a big part of it. And we are at the peak heyday of college football right now. What college football or football in general looks like in 20 years once more research is done, we'll see. I mean, what happened? Yeah. The, the, the guy from uh, Washington State, yeah. uh, the quarterback that committed suicide, he was like a junior, CTE, at what, 21 years old? So we'll see what that means moving forward. This whole generation of kids going in to play football right now, I think the talent level is going to be weaker and weaker. As more kids start focusing, they realize the injury potential and start focusing more on their academics. I think one angle I'll take maybe as a contributing input here is um, how are we going to pay for all this? And you look at all the money flowing around this industry, who, are the, who, are the, who benefits? Um, universities have enormous budgets, enormous staffs. Um, they, that money gets distributed. Uh, I think the way the way that you can 
find ways to pay players through this or enable maybe a more equitable system is limiting two things. Coaching salaries make a level playing field across the country. So there's not necessarily a, I mean, I think you need to have some variance here. It's not a completely like communist system that I'm proposing. Um, as well as limiting, we limit the size of a coaching staff, but you can have unlimited number of analysts and um, you know nerds in mom's basement working on a um, football staff, as we see with Alabama. Why not as many as you can afford? Why not as many coaches, like the, like a market, like a free market, more capitalist? That's what it is now. That's what it is now. Um, well, I, you, once you start paying players, I mean, there's going to be some cuts with that. But made. there needs to be some. There needs to be something to create an equal playing field. Otherwise, the amount of teams, the amount of people actually competing, is going to be less. So well. that's going to happen. Yeah. That's absolutely going to happen. Uh, other title, yeah, title nine sports yeah. or whatever, are going to be cut as well. You can't redistribute the money back to those programs that don't generate a profit. Which is again, that's that is putting college football on a pedestal as a capitalist thing instead of which it is, and it's well, under, right. under the guise. So of it'd else. be great if yeah. if it got more back towards academics. And again, the paying players, there has to be some system. And Cody, you you mentioned this, but you can't just give kids a wad of cash or. C.J. Fuller, Jajar Donchon, they're going to... Ah, that sounds... No, that's wrong. I mean, you can give kids cash. It's just... It, it would have to be... I, anyway, I'm not going to even go dive into that point. You but, missed the joke. No, I, I heard the C.J. Fuller. Uh, anyhow, um, what, I, what I would say, though, is like talking about a free market, like you act, you said mentioned earlier, like a solution. I haven't heard solutions. Like the free... The, the same people that advocate for a free market in real, in real life... I know, and you know who you are, and I, I, in general, I like the free market as well. I think it works very well. I think it's very efficient. Those same people are saying that it wouldn't work in a, in a payment structure for for paying student athletes. Like it's pretty contradictory, right? But again, the difference is the difference is the it's You're still young people can't have no, access no, no, no. to money. That it's sounds... still an academic institution. So taken in that bubble, it is what the free market is a completely different thing, right? The focus. Of schools and universities is academics. Sports is part of that. Brings in money, absolutely. I think if you start giving people paychecks, that needs to be a minor league system where these kids, superstars coming out of college, they can be like, I can go here, get great coaching, great facilities, get paid, get to the NFL. Or I can take the path where I can still do that in college, but also focus on my education. But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to withgo some of that money like they do in minor league baseball. What were you saying, Tully? I mean, I think uh, by right now, all the riches of the market of the industry are going to coaches' salaries, to huge staffs. That uh, I'm all in favor of free market and essentially like schools that can generate revenue through whatever means they want, either alumni donation or Texas Longhorns having their own TV network. Like, go for it. Um, but I think the way that the kind of rhetoric that comes out of the NCAA is, how can we possibly afford to pay? students, student athletes, it's can you put restrictions in place on coaching salaries or size of staff that could then be diverted directly to this cause? But then isn't that like going against the free market about putting restrictions yeah, my on thing the is coaches? Each, each school will figure why it out on their own based on their own budget. coaching staff size. Like why is that restriction in place right now? Because then you're just going to have like two teams that do everything and nobody else can play football. Like you're going to, there's going to be nothing. I mean, I mean, they have that in the NFL. They have coaching staff restrictions. They have it in every professional sport, right? Yeah, I, I think it doesn't. You got to create an equal playing field, or no, or no everybody's gonna lose interest. Right, and it, maybe it's more of a let, let's take the pay for play out of it. Um, why do certain teams have massive 
analytics staffs and others don't. And I think it's because they can afford to do it. And their fan base cares more. And it, like, yeah, it, it's weird. And you can't like compare uh, a, a sports organization to society because it, it's, it's, it's weird in that there is, you do have to have some kind of communist, whatever element like for balancing things out, but yeah. there will be some teams that will be lost in the shuffle. Like Boise States, it's great of a story as that as it was back in the day, like they probably won't be around very long or they, they will exist in another well, league. And it happens in pro and sports with only. big market teams and small market teams, right? Like the, the, the That's true. Kansas City Royals take eight years win a World Series, and then they're crap for another in, in few a, years. In so a way, Clemson up. is kind of a small market yeah. team who just works really efficiently. Very they have a so. lot of other things going for it. That we got a Dabo. We have a Dabo. <laughs> yeah, we have, yeah, we've taken taken advantage of market inefficiencies in a lot of other ways. I mean, and the bottom line. coordinator. I mean, coaching staff pay and size has benefited Clemson because Dabo has taken personal sacrifices to allow much higher salaries for his staff then we get Brent Venables. Then we get he also Chad just Morris. built like a twenty thousand square foot house. So, oh, he's doing fine. He's but, made his uh, money back. I think Clemson has also decided to allocate its resources wisely. They're ahead of the game. They're innovating. We're doing a a game day recruiting facility in Death Valley right now. That's first of its kind, and a softball program. We, we market better than probably right. just about anyone. Um, and I'm saying like teams that do those things should be reaping the benefits and advantages. Um, if you do that within the framework of the rules, absolutely. That's yeah. you deserve to to be better than. I just I I see all the dollars that do go into certain facilities, and it's like we're doing that, but you can't. Like a player has to be going hungry. That kind of thing just doesn't really add up. They're getting free meals, man. Like nobody's going hungry. Yeah, and it's not to say that like I've heard some people say like college athletes don't have it that bad. It's like no, we're not saying they have it bad. And I think the whole thing about the guy from Tennessee, remember him back in the day? He said he was hungry. The running back, uh, Arian Foster. Um, it's like no, come on! You're not hungry. You're getting you're getting a few bucks here and there from. And no one, I'm not making that argument. Industry. No, no, Cody's right. It, it's not. We're not saying that the players have it that bad. We're saying there's a lot of people who are banking off this that don't deserve it. Yeah, exactly. And that the system is run poorly. Something's wrong. It needs to be fixed. We all agree on that. And to me, it's like you can offer. Like it's not like let's reframe the question. And I've heard it said this way. It's like it's not should players be paid. It should the institutions have the right to pay players. Think about that through that, that that line. I mean, it's it's just a different way to think about it. It's like you're restricting a right that the institution would have to pay players. I'm well, just trying to think of how that translates into like well, other here's how like it plays professional out. sports Let's leagues. Because that's like the, the thing that you can compare it to and how that works. It's almost like a salary cap type situation. Leagues that have that and leagues that don't have that. Yeah. I mean, there's going to be penalties for paying well, if you're the Pac-12, if I'm the Pac-12, I find a way to become, and I say the Pac-12 because... If I'm the Pac-12, I focus on rowing. Well, they're, they just won the baseball title. Um, baseball. They are, they're behind everyone else in college football revenue. If they can find a way to pay their players first, they can get better recruits. You know, they can create it as a... But at the same time, like, the talent just isn't out here that there is in other parts of the country. I mean, it's that too, the right? Money helps to get it out here. That is true. I mean, you could go to, you could sell. I mean, it's hard as it shouldn't be to sell LA, but even the LA teams haven't been doing that great recently. Yeah, I think you do need a salary cap because otherwise, again, it's just going to be a complete. It's going to become the Yankees, Red Sox, Dodgers. Can't be called a salary cap. The salary insinuates you're doing a job. Yeah, however they want to justify it semantically. Um, anyway, I don't know that we're solving this this crisis 
uh, with our remaining time. I think we've gotten here. a lot farther than the NCAA has. <laughs> yeah, the, the one thing, the one uh, counter argument or whatever is how would we ever do it? And because something is complicated, su- suggests to someone we shouldn't do anything. Like, that's yeah. stupid. It's like there are a number of... It's uh, saying that this system's well, perfect. In, now. It's like a high number of DUIs in the 80s, like... Well, we shouldn't do anything. We can't fix the problem altogether. That's stupid. No, the, you implement laws to, to fix it. The biggest, we pro- should do. the biggest problem I have is the people who point out the problem but offer absolutely no solution or any viable solutions. Like they say, we should pay them and drop it on that. Like yeah, it has it, to be more thoughtful debate than what do you see a lot of these pundits do. Like the, the idea about making college football a major, uh, for me, you don't see it talked about a lot. I It was one of the guys at Tiger Illustrated – uh, like retweeted or mentioned somebody else's article about that. And the article essentially stated that that was their idea and had no substance whatsoever describing how that would actually work. They're just like, make it a major. And it was yeah. like 10 paragraphs of that over and over again with, with no explanation of how that works. It's easy to point out a problem, but creating, crafting a solution, that's much harder part. I agree. There are solutions out there if you're willing to look. I think most people don't look hard enough. And I, but I agree. There are even more people that are willing to point out a problem and right. that, that exists all over our society. Unfortunately. Yep. Cool. Well, uh, I think that's a mailbag show guys. Um, thank you again to our listeners and contributors of questions. We would love to do another one of these. So please keep those questions coming. You can hit us up, um, via mention or direct message on Twitter. We're at Clemson podcast. Um, we are also on Facebook. We've gotten a lot of questions that way and a lot of engagement. Thank you all for that. And if you just prefer to email us, that works too. ClemsonPodcast at gmail.com. Guys, what do we have coming up the next few weeks? We'll take our break for uh, 4th of July. And then it's football season, baby. It's almost time for fall camp. We're going to be doing position group breakdowns, taking a look at the team. You know, more heated debate on the quarterback battle once that gets underway. It's it's that all time. In, all in cookout, not too far. So we're going to yeah. have like 20 or so recruits uh, or commitments, which will be more than our last two classes. Probably, probably, what do you think, in the next month, maybe five commitments we see? Possibly, yeah. Three to five. And a lot of guys, a lot of three-star guys that everybody's complaining about that are really showing out and are going to get a huge bump here. Brian Constantine is one of them. So it's, it's football season. Is what you're saying? Yeah, as soon as the baseball team lost, it's football season. Yeah. (laughs) Sounds good. Uh, Basketball, free agency is upon us, but other than that, it's just 100% football now. Pretty much, yeah. uh, Good stuff. Well, thanks everyone for tuning in. We appreciate it. Good to be back on the mic for a lot of us, and um, you'll hear more in coming weeks. We'll probably also start to get into some interviews, um, so stay tuned for that as well. Um, Thanks for listening, everyone, and once more, go Tigers. Welcome to the inaugural Clemson Podcast. This is Nick. This is Ben. And we are here with our couple of other friends. Hello, everyone. This is the second edition of Clemson Podcast with Cody Fowler and Graham Sinclair. And we're, we're going to tackle a few other things that have gone on in the, splimps, in the Clemson universe. Uh, but really, I uh, want to give you all a little taste of uh, who we are, where we're, where we're coming from with our uh, devotion to Clemson. Um, and for me personally, following Clemson sports has really kept me connected to the school and to my alma mater, um, especially since moving to the West Coast. Um, all four of us here have moved out to the Bay Area from Clemson. And now you live in San Francisco and you've lived here the last four years, so you kind of got to, on the, on the tail end of that, you got to, to avoid the five-game losing streak, too, by 
by relative obscurity being on the West Coast. Exactly. See about one Gamecock a year, and it's, it's terrible, but, you know. <laughs> one Gamecock. Yeah, exactly. Um, we've really um, found sports as a good connector um, to our fellow alumni and to our school. Um, yeah, Nick, you know, we've had a lot of resources online um, here to help us keep up uh, with Clemson Tiger Athletics, you know, stuff that we didn't have in the past, um, you know, just, you know, stuff on the internet. So, so moving on, let's get to, like, the, the meaty stuff, Clemson football. And actually, a word from our sponsor really quick. Uh, Clemson Podcast brought to you by Todd's DVD and VHS Rental. It's locally owned and family operated for over 25 years in the heart of the upstate. Go visit Todd and tell him the guys from Clemson Podcast sent you. That's Todd's DVD and VHS Rental. Why stream movies from Netflix when you can rent a DVD from Todd's? And, and that's, that's a fake sponsor, by the way. Excellent. Um, ben, what, what resources do you generally follow online to keep up with Clemson sports specifically? Um, well, I you know, visit certain websites I'm sure most people are aware of. Um, you know, Tiger Net, Net is a big uh, um, you know, site that I go to, among some others. Um, I feel like we're going nowhere with this. I think, I think CJ Spiller is the better Clemson player. <laughs> I think that's all we have for today. Um, I, just I, Again, our inaugural episode, please give us feedback. Um, another word from one of our sponsors, Clemson Podcast, brought to you by Larry's Yachts by the Lake. With two convenient locations on Lake Hartwell and Lake Kiwi, Larry's Yachts by the Lakes combines a white-collar taste with a lower-middle-class setting. Larry's Spring Sale has yachts starting as low as seven hundred and fifty grand. Call today. That's Larry Jots by the Lake. Thanks again. This is Clemson Podcast signing off. Uh, until next time, go Tigers. Go Tigers. Yes. <laughs>